Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Welcome to In the Psychologist's Chair with host Dr. Raymond Hamden. Our program will feature global guests joining Dr. Hamden for a psychological interview. And through their experiences, you will explore the human depth of understanding their purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Raymond Hamden. A lot of people from around the world want to know about each other. Universities in the United States have a marked interest now in cross-cultural understanding, requiring their students to do so during their four-year curriculum, certainly their graduate school as well. With us today from Lee University, in the psychologist's chair is Dr. Bill Jaber. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bill. Thank you, Dr. Raymond. And you're here for all the way from Tennessee. From Tennessee. The big state. The big state. The and you're state. and you're from Cleveland, Tennessee. Cleveland, Tennessee. Not the other Cleveland, which Not is in Ohio, other. but Cleveland, Tennessee. Yes. You know, you were born in West by God, Virginia. McDowell County. McDowell County, <laughs> no better place. Welch, no less. War. War. You were born W-A-R. in War. That's why did it get that name? Supposedly, uh, back in the 1700s, uh, Indian tribes had a battle that was so intense that the river actually ran red with their blood. So that very area called War, West Virginia, was named back in the 1700s with uh, the American Indians. That's where it got its name from originally. Now, McDowell County is quite a famous county that nobody knows about. That's how famous it is. Yes. <laughs> it was famous for those during World War II especially who were Europeans that had to come to the United States to escape the fascism of Europe. And what better place to hide them than in southern West Virginia in a place called McDowell County, especially Welch. Now, there's a place down there called Kimball as well, and Keystone, which may have been where the Keystone cops came from. Maybe. Maybe so. (laughs) But you didn't stay in West Virginia very long. Uh, Well, I I actually did. Uh, I stayed in West Virginia until uh, 1999. Uh, I did move out of McDowell County and moved up uh, uh, to Oak Hill, West Virginia, uh, just outside of Beckley, and spent about eight years there. And you did your undergraduate training where? I did my undergraduate at Lee College. Which is now Lee University. In Cleveland, Tennessee, uh, in 66 to 71. I was one of those few students that took uh, five years to To get a four-year degree. degree. (laughs) (laughs) Good. I didn't see it at our club meeting, by the way. (laughs) I didn't know that. How about your master's degree and your doctorate's degree? I did my master's uh, in educational administration from Marshall University. Uh, at that time, it was uh, called uh, COGS, or College of Graduate Studies, mm-hmm. yeah. which became part of the Marshall system. And then in 1992, I started my Ph.D. work at Virginia Tech and completed that in 1997. Virginia Polytechnical Institute and State University in Blacksburg, Virginia. That became famous a few years ago with that horrific incident of a young graduate student who had a gun and too many bullets and killed several people. Very tragic. But it's a beautiful area to live in, despite the fact that there has been some tragedy, not very much. It's uh, You've been mostly in the Appalachians. Yes, I have. 
and now at Lee University. What are you doing in the central part of Tennessee at Lee University? I teach computer information systems. So your doctorate is in IT? My doctorate is in instructional systems design, uh, and I had quite a few courses in addition to that that uh, carried over into the teaching for, for computers. Universities today are very interested in cross-cultural understanding, and your particular university has already ventured in certain places around the world. Where are some of the places you've been before? Some of the places that I personally have been have been to Paraguay, to Uruguay, to Argentina, to Brazil, to Italy, uh, and uh, on a personal level to, uh, to Lebanon, and then here in Dubai. But have you ever been to Texas? I've been to Texas a couple of times. So you've been to a lot of foreign countries (laughs) then as well, huh? Well, what about Tennessee? What is it like living in Tennessee? Uh, In in Cleveland, it's uh, in the uh, southeast part of uh, Tennessee. It's a very uh, great community to live in, very wholesome. Uh, Not a lot of traffic at this point, uh, but uh, things are beginning to grow. Uh, Volkswagen just moved into... uh, the Chattanooga area, which was uh, 30 miles from us. The manufacturing plant. The manufacturing. They will be producing uh, Volkswagens there. And then Wacker, uh, another German corporation, is going to be located just uh, north of Cleveland. So, so if you want to meet the Wackers, you can go to <laughs> yes, uh, you can. Tennessee now, huh? <laughs> exactly. Well, t- tell me about your university and its international interest in the Middle East. Uh, Lee University uh, started a... a cross-cultural program with uh, their uh, semester in Cambridge uh, several years ago, and uh, that has grown uh, into about 40 different, uh, 40 to 50 different trips uh, around uh, the world, uh, mostly within uh, departmental uh, aspects. Uh, They're all academic programs, and the idea is to give students a, uh, a broad perspective of the world that we live in and to help them to uh, appreciate and value uh, the cultures of, of other countries and other peoples and to uh, thereby in, uh, uh, grow in uh, comfort and appreciation for their own culture. Many people in the industry of education do so for commercial reasons, but your university is a liberal arts university. It is. And it's also governed by the Church of God. It is sponsored by the Church of God. Which and is, yet it's quite flexible. Yes, it and is. And open and understanding to different religions and different people from different cultures. That's correct. That's quite a contradiction to what people expect well, from what's supposed to be a fundamentalist conservative program, not just conservative but actually fundamentalist we are uh, we are a conservative uh, denomination but the university has really uh, adopted the idea that uh, for us to be productive individuals in society we have to value and appreciate uh, those that are different than than we are and uh, the cross-cultural program is designed to allow students to experience that difference uh, in, in a context of uh, being in a different country and uh, enjoying and appreciating the people of that country. Now, the countries that you've already been to, were you there on missionary purposes or were you there as uh, a place to expose your students to different parts of the world? It, 
It was a totally academic uh, uh, trip. We do have academic uh, endeavors. We have uh, a medical mission trip uh, that uh, some of our uh, science students take, and then we had some uh, students that went on a service trip to help uh, build uh, some buildings in, in another country. But most of, uh, most of our trips are academic in nature, and that's uh, what we focus on is the academic part. How did you get interested in computers, designs, a boy from West Virginia, war West Virginia? Well, uh, I always uh, had an interest uh, in taking things apart and tinkering with things. And I kind of got into it um, in 1978, I believe, when uh, the state of West Virginia uh, wanted uh, to bring computers to students in, in the state, and they wanted uh, teachers to teach computers. And I volunteered, but they uh, chose uh, a math teacher who did not want that. And then the following year, they uh, put computers in all the vocational and business departments uh, within the state of West Virginia and networked those. And that's where my interest started. I, I uh, was kind of fascinated with it and began to take uh, my computer courses at that time. And that rolled over into the doctoral program at uh, Virginia Tech. I had uh, developed an interest of going back to Lee University to teach and uh, wanted to know what they needed to uh, for uh, a doctorate. And uh, I uh, talked to one of my advisors in my master's program, told him I'd like to do a second master's. And he said, you're crazy. He said, that won't benefit you. And he said, you need to go to Virginia <laughs> Tech and get a doctorate. So I went down and, uh, and I looked at uh, uh, their program. He knew that I had a uh, background and an interest in computers. And I looked at their instructional technology, instructional design program. Uh, as a matter of fact, I went down two or three times to look at it. And when I actually applied, the program director said, well, you've kind of got the cart before the horse. You've already applied and you, or interviewed and you haven't even applied yet. <laughs> so it, it was a great program. Uh, I really appreciated uh, the instructors there, some, some great guys. A lot of the people in your industry stay together. They communicate. They have trade journals and things like that. There must be a lot of advancements that you're seeing around the world today. A lot of advancements. In the Arab world, especially Dubai, it's one of the most sophisticated uses of computers. And the experience that you've had landing in Dubai, as soon as the plane lands, in less than 45 minutes, you're outside of the terminal with your visa, your luggage, ready to go to wherever you're going to be staying. Uh, that was quite impressive. I was somewhat amazed that uh, I was through the line and outside in such a, a short amount of time even faster than the U.S. Well, the, the security system that's here is quite impressive as well in the UAE as well as in the United States. But the computer system that's used, its application is quite phenomenal. That's, I wonder if it's one of the things that students should be understanding is how the IT program is applied in other places of the world, which I guess is one of the things you're going to be exposing your students to when they do come to the Middle East. That is correct. Uh, that's one of the things, uh, of course, because of my Lebanese heritage, I've always had an interest in uh, seeing something develop for our students in the Middle East and uh, wanted them to see a, uh, a different side of the Middle East than what we sometimes get in the media uh, in, in the States and to appreciate the people uh, in the Middle East. So uh, that's been kind of 
back behind uh, my idea for trying to develop a program uh, geared at bringing students to the Middle East. The program that's going to be bringing students to the Middle East, will it be composed of only IT majors, or will it be other disciplines at your liberal arts university, too? There is a possibility that it may include uh, the psychology discipline, but certainly the business discipline in which uh, computer information systems is a part of. Uh, So mostly uh, be looking at bringing business and computer information systems students uh, and then maybe some psychology uh, later on. A lot of universities now are looking at that, and Dubai in particular happens to be one of the sites that American universities want to visit. And we're going to be talking more about you and how you got into this profession. We're going to also be talking about the selection of the university in which you are, your family, and how that's played a role with your Lebanese heritage. You're American-born of Lebanese descent. And the way that growing up in the Appalachian Mountains may have played an interesting role in putting all of that together at your young age of 62 (laughs) years old now. So, Dr. Bill Jaber, welcome to the show. Thank you for being in the Psychologist Chair. We're going to be talking back with you in just a few moments. So, everyone, stay tuned. We're going to be talking about Lee University coming to the Middle East with Dr. Bill Jaber. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. If you are looking for a real political discussion from more than one viewpoint, make sure you tune in to No Labels Radio with Nancy Jacobson and Mark McKinnon. It's not left, not right, but forward. As part of the No Labels movement, which promotes common sense solutions to our country's most pressing problems, our program will feature hot political topics with serious players driving a national conversation. Listen for No Labels Radio every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Let's think forward. Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to In the Psychologist Chair with Dr. Raymond Hamden and his featured guests. We'd love to hear from you via email at info at inthepsychologistchair.info. That email address again is info at inthepsychologistchair.info. Now, back to Dr. Raymond Hamden. Dr. Bill Jaber from the University in Tennessee called Lee University is with us in the Psychologist Chair during his visit in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. We're being broadcast, of course, from Phoenix, Arizona. 
What an amazing world, and you're right now experiencing your own profession. This is a broadband broadcast. It's not radio or television, a traditional box that you have in front of you or next to you. It's actually broadband. Where do you see broadband going? Where do you see shows like Voice America, Variety Channel, In the Psychologist's Chair, being a member of this? Where are we going to be in three years, five years, ten years? It's uh, it's difficult to tell. The way that technology has changed and is uh, changing even as we speak, uh, it's uh, hard to determine just how widely uh, used this w- will become. Uh, a few years ago, we didn't have anything like email, and everything was snail mail, and all of a sudden it exploded. And just when we thought that uh, it was the thing, uh, then social networking has uh kind of moved email aside. So uh, depending on where the technology goes uh, as to what uh, will happen in an industry like this. One of the North African nations met its administrative destruction through Facebook. It was actually Facebook that brought down a regime, and that was just a couple of months ago. So we're seeing good things happening, but we can also see destructive things happening One of the things that's also a concern throughout the Middle East and the rest of the world, because now you're realizing that the world is smaller through technology, so there's not a big difference between being in the Middle East or being on the west coast of the United States. We're able to talk to each other. We're able to hear each other. We can even see each other. What about hackers? What about this psychology of demonic behavior on computers? Where is that all going? Uh, it's only going to continue to increase, I believe. Uh, the amount of money that uh, businesses and industry spends each year on trying to protect itself and to eliminate the hacking uh, is a phenomenal amount. Uh, the, the amount of money and the, the amount of time lost each year is just a tremendous burden on, on businesses. But it's a necessity. Uh, there are those that would uh, you know, like to be mischievous, some f- for the fact that uh, just trying to see what they can get into. And the others have a, a more, uh, um, if you allow me, a more diabolical reason for, uh, for doing that, to uh, damage records, to uh, delete files, to uh, find information about individuals, social uh, information that uh, can allow them to create duplicate identities and uh, bring financial harm to to individuals. When you look at history and you look at people that have made a mark in the world, sometimes it's people who come from towns like War, West Virginia, Welch, Princeton, places in Tennessee. It's not always the big cosmopolitan cities that you see, even though there's many wonderful people that have gone there. There's brilliant universities there. They've graduated making major contributions. The interest of you growing up in southern West Virginia, when did you realize that you needed to go beyond the nice community into a world where a larger scale contribution could be made? It's it's interesting that you ask that. Um, Growing up, I didn't envision anything beyond my hometown. And as I got to college age, uh, I remember... uh, People telling me, oh, you're going to be homesick when you've never been away from home before. But once I went to, uh, to college, and I, maybe perhaps the university, the college uh, 
and uh, Lee uh, captured my attention and getting away from home, um, I made up my mind that I wasn't going to be homesick, and uh, I really fell in love with the area. And uh, I saw as time went by uh, the potential for living somewhere else. And of course, getting married and uh, watching the economic decline in uh, the state of West Virginia occur, I wanted something more for my children. And uh, Lee uh, University and Cleveland, Tennessee, uh, provided uh, a different lifestyle for us. Now, your three children are adults. They are adults. And they're moving quite nicely in their careers. They are. And all three of them, as yourself, are invested in the religious teaching as well as the academic. They are. How involved is your church, is your university? in bringing understanding and cooperation among others? Or are you in the primary stages of getting to know others? I think for the most part, we're probably, uh, you would consider us in the primary stages of getting to, to know other cultures and other beliefs. Um, the university requires all students to have a, uh, a, an 18-hour or a minor in, um, in Bible. But uh, no one is required to make any particular profession of faith. We have had students, uh, both Christian, uh, non-Christian, we've had Muslim, uh, Hindu, that have come to the university, and they are not in any way expected to make any any type of conversion. But they are expected to participate in the activities that are core— for Lee University, they are expected. We uh, we do have a uh, a requirement for students to attend uh, chapel service twice uh, a week uh, during the day, and then once a month on Sunday evening. I think it's the first Sunday of each month uh, as a a uh, worship service, and it's not just a a typical kind of preaching service, but uh, the university brings in. Uh, a lot of contemporary artists and things like that uh, as a different means of uh, uh, a worship service. Lee University is situated in Tennessee. Tennessee is not always associated with being an international community. However, it has attracted people from many parts of the world. Do you have an idea of how many nationalities are represented in your particular community? Not exactly. I, I, I wish I had those uh, figures, but uh, I think that they're somewhere uh, in the neighborhood of uh, several hundred different uh, 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 people of different backgrounds. Uh, we've had a, a large number of students that come from uh, the islands, uh, the Bahamas and uh, Trinidad. A large number of students come from Nigeria. Uh, that has uh, declined a little this last year, I think. Uh, we've had uh, students from uh, other uh, other areas, uh, from uh, China, from uh, Japan, and uh, the Philippines uh, to come to, to Lee. Lee University is a liberal arts program, which means that students are required to have education from different factors of life through different courses. So no matter what you're majoring in, you're going to have coursework from history, psychology, sociology, foreign language, uh, art, yes. music, these various kinds of things. 
Where do a lot of the students go from Lee University when they graduate? Uh, depending on their major, uh, a lot of uh, students uh, find employment in, in the various industries. Uh, a lot uh, also find uh, graduate work. They are interested in uh, continuing their education. A lot of them want to uh, eventually get a Ph.D., come uh, uh, to a university and teach at a university. Your, your student body at Lee University is how large? We have about 4,500 students. And most of them are campus or commuters? Uh, about half. I think we our uh, uh, residential neighborhood on campus is about uh, 2,500. And girl-boy ratio? It's about uh, even. Uh, oh, is it 50-50 then? About 50-50. Mm, quite impressive. The, con- the kind of conditions that people are living in in Tennessee, is it a four-season thing with snow, summer, and hot uh, summers? Or whatever? How, how are the seasons there? The, the, it is a four-season uh, area, a geographic area. Uh, the snow that we get is very limited in a very, very small amount uh, of snow. Uh, usually the summers uh, are quite warm, uh, not quite as hot as here in Dubai, but uh, in the upper 90s uh, and lower 100s. So if people want to experience the four seasons in a mild level, your location in Tennessee is the Come place to, to go. Tennessee. The education is quite good. you got Ivy League professors that are teaching. There are quite a heavy number of researchers, uh, and there is some, a body of research that is coming out of Lee University we, in many different fields. We have uh, quite a few uh, individuals that are ga- engaged in research and writing, but the main thrust of the university is uh, the emphasis is on the teaching. Interestingly, it's a Church of God-sponsored church, uh, university. It's an establishment that could be fundamentalist in its behavior, but it chooses not to be. Is this an attraction for a lot of people as a result that it's a wholesome place to live, you feel safe there. Even if you're not Christian, you have a good sense of camaraderie, acceptance, nourishment. Do you I, feel I, safe? I think that's uh, an accurate statement. Uh, in talking with a lot of our uh, international students, uh, I always ask them, well, you know, uh, how did you get to Lee? What has your experience been like? Uh, how has it been different? You know, uh, and all of them have a sense of uh, very comfortable uh, with the university and uh, have uh, had a very good experience, very wholesome experience. And uh, coming from a lot of different cultures, uh, being away from home for uh, so long, they feel very safe in the environment. Christian University ventures to the Middle East, which is primarily a Muslim community. A lot of people in the United States don't even know that in the Arabic community, you have Jewish Arabs, Christian Arabs, as well as Muslim Arabs. We'll be talking with Dr. Bill Jaber from Lee University as our show continues today in the psychologist chair. I'm Dr. Eamon Hamden. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. What does the new health care law mean to you? Why is the country facing a deepening deficit? Can it be reversed? If education is important to fund, shouldn't we insist on seeing results? Do we have a workable energy policy? Who's calling the shots? Tune in to In the Public Interest with host Mike Hudson. We'll cover public policy, everything from taxes and spending to health care and other threatened entitlements. If it's in the public interest, it's in your interest to know. In the Public Interest can be heard live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to In the Psychologist Chair with Dr. Raymond Hamden and his featured guests. We'd love to hear from you via email at info at inthepsychologistchair.info. That email address again is info at inthepsychologistchair.info. Now, back to Dr. Raymond Hamden. Dr. Bill Jaber, born and raised in southern West Virginia, McDowell County. Now, a member of the faculty at Lee University in Tennessee. Ventures with his students to the Middle East. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Bill Jaber. We're glad to have you visiting in Dubai as we broadcast from Phoenix, Arizona. A situation that no one better than you is familiar with since you're a professor of information technology and all the specialties that you actually have to do with that, including design. There must be an international language to computer, as there is an international language to music and to math. When you're communicating with people from around the world who write in the trade journals of your profession, there must be a common denominator of the language of computers that helps in the communications, even if you're not speaking the same spoken language. What is computer, computer language like today? Well, there there are uh, several basic languages that I, I think uh, are uh, uh, part of any uh, computer program. Uh, an introduction to programming languages such as Visual Basic, .NET, or C++, and then some of the uh, programming languages for the internet and things like that. These are these are kind of the standard uh, languages of of the industry. What happened to COBOL? COBOL is actually still alive and well. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, funny that you should ask that because a couple of years ago in uh, visiting one of the textile mills in uh, 
Dalton, Georgia, which is uh, the uh, the carpet capital of the world, uh, they remarked that a lot of their programmers were uh, kind of my age, getting ready to retire. <laughs> a nice way to and, say you're old. And uh, that uh, they were a little concerned that no one was offering COBOL anymore because uh, it wasn't as classy as some of or as sexy as some of the other languages that we might uh, <laughs> speak of today. And uh, we actually offered a uh, a uh, advanced programming uh, course in COBOL to prepare students for this uh, retirement uh, for these older programmers. Oh, my goodness. So COBOL still lives. It still lives. That's an amazing phenomenon in <laughs> itself. I thought that was going to be written written in history books now for your students. Now they're going to actually bring it back to life. It's still there and still uh, in uh, in uh, much need. Uh, a lot of the bigger uh, companies still have a uh, a COBOL uh, need. In the earlier part of the show today, you said you like to take things apart and put them back together. I would hope. Uh, yes, and hopefully it works after I put them back together. <laughs> How does that relate? Well, to being in the computer business and design business. What are you taking apart? What are you putting together? Well, there is a, a facet of the industry that used to uh, have a need for uh, repair of computers, uh, troubleshooting of computers. That is still a need, troubleshooting. But the uh, the technology uh, has changed so drastically over the last several years and has gotten so cheap that uh, it's almost not worth uh, the repair if a problem exists. Uh, it's much easier and much cheaper just to replace the unit. Interestingly, some people in your profession have predicted that the world will become very shortly a broadcast system from broadband. We're going to eventually be getting rid of computers, getting rid of television, radio. Everything may actually be on your wrist as if you're wearing a watch. And from there, you'll have your broadband where you can get all kinds of information. You can have your computer, calculator, telephone. You can almost do anything with that. Are you and I going to be alive when that happens? That's hard to tell. Uh, it depends on uh, the infrastructure, I think, around the world. There, there, there's a lot of people that would like to see a lot of this come and come quickly but I don't think that many countries are prepared for it. They, they just don't have the infrastructure in place uh, for that to take place. Well, let's talk a little bit of politics in this. Is it also an economic strain if that happens too quickly because people have too many computers that they need to sell? Or there's going to be billions of bucks lost on computers that have been to put together and not sold? Well, you've got to realize that any time you start investing in technology uh, – by the time you get it home, there's probably a newer model out, and then uh, you're uh, behind the technology at that point. I don't think that there will be a, uh, a large inventory of uh, computer technology that is unused. Uh, as we move into some of the more sophisticated things, as you've indicated, I think the technology industry will phase things out if that is the case. At one time, people had difficulty aligning God, spirituality, with technology and science. Today in New Age psychology, New Age medicine, New Age science, we realize that God does work through science. When you take the Ark of the Covenant from the Old Testament, it was a 1,000-volt electric box 3,000 years ago. 
but also 3,000 years ago in what now is the Turkish Empire, there was underground plumbing with hot water. A lot of things we thought we had discovered in the last century actually were present thousands of years ago. I don't know that there were computers back then, but there was the abacus that some people claim can figure out numerical situations quicker than a calculator or a computer. You're the expert on that. But the direction that we're going, are we getting closer to God as we get to know science more? I think it's it's possible. I don't know that uh, everyone would agree with, uh, with that analogy. But uh, certainly it offers an opportunity to share uh, about God, uh, both uh, uh, Christian and, and Muslim uh, clergy uh, are, are sharing their, their message and putting forth their message through the use of technology. Well, when you look at the Abrahamic religion, which is the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, the Muslim faith, there seems to be quite a parallel. Rather than contradictions, they actually seem to be complementary. What your university is doing in taking your students to venture into the world is to realize that a religion may be a continuation of another, not a contradiction to it. As a matter of fact, some scholars actually say that the closest faith in religious writing and practice to the Jewish faith is the Shiite Muslim faith. Both tend to have texts that are more social psychology, a way of life. For those that are familiar with the different ingredients of Muslim faith, there's one faith that may not be Muslim, but it's labeled as such. It happened to be the Druze. And the Druze seem to be a culmination of all three faiths. But then that's nothing new because you have the Hindu faith that also allows for that kind of flexibility in understanding God and sharing likenesses among humans all over the world. And you're giving your students that opportunity. You've had personal opportunity to be attached to the Middle East, even though you were born and raised in southern West Virginia. Growing up with that cross-cultural home, how did that play for you when you were not at home but were in school with your classmates who may not have had that same cross-cultural experience? Well, I think one of the one of the first things that uh, comes to mind is uh, the uh, strong influence of family that uh, played a part uh, in, in uh, my upbringing. Uh, in my father's uh, family uh, and in my mother's family as well, family was very important and, and stressed uh, uh, very often. Uh, I found that in uh, in going away and engaging with uh, other students, that there was a lack of that fi- uh, that family tie. Uh, also, uh, getting the the understanding of uh, how that my father came to this country as as a, as a young boy, and working and making something of himself uh, seemed to be uh, for many a. a a contradiction because they did not uh, have that opportunity or see that uh, uh, work ethic uh, play out in, in the life of, uh, of their family. They came into a situation where uh, their family had been here for a while. They had uh, 
worked and maybe had uh, made uh, an income and a living. They didn't uh, have the opportunity, I think, from uh, that standpoint to value what their parents had uh, had done in coming to this country, being uh, uh, non-Native Americans and having to learn a language to uh, make a living, to uh, develop a new life for themselves. And, And for many of those students, they they had always their families had always lived in the United States, so they, they they didn't see that part. They they couldn't value what their parents, I think, had done for them. But for you, you were born of a Lebanese immigrant father who came from the Middle East in a community that was not Christian, but because of his own background, he was open to worshiping God in any house of worship. That was monotheistic. And yes. he it was okay with the Christian faith. Didn't even blink an eye. Did so not. what? It's God. That's, uh, that's very true. I remember going to a Christian church, to the Methodist church with my father, which was his uh, uh, church of choice for worship. And uh, it, it was not until I became an adult that I really began to understand uh, his acceptance uh, uh, and his embracing of uh, the way to worship. We're going to be talking about students who have a religious background. And this is certainly not to say that the only way you can have morals or ethics or decency is to have a religious background. But there must be a marked difference between your students who do have that kind of an upbringing and the ones who don't. I'm Dr. Raymond Hampton. You're in the psychologist's chair today with Dr. Bill Jaber of Lee University. We'll be right back for the last segment in just a few moments. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to 
In the Psychologist Chair with Dr. Raymond Hamden and his featured guests. We'd love to hear from you via email at info at inthepsychologistchair.info. That email address again is info at inthepsychologistchair.info. Now, back to Dr. Raymond Hamden. Back in the Psychologist Chair with Dr. Bill Jaber of Lee University. Students who have a religious upbringing, students who don't have a religious upbringing, can still have morals, ethics, good character, be great citizens. Unfortunately, there is a correlation, though, between those who commit crime and those who have lacked religious teaching. Now, it doesn't mean that that has to be the cure, but what I'm saying is, in looking at this from a clinical psychology as well as a forensic psychology viewpoint, people who have a balance in their life, and they include spiritual upbringing, certainly tend to have a better hold on cooperation, a means of living in harmony. Now, let's look at that factor and add in another factor. You've been brought up in two different cultures. The American culture says we need to teach our children to be independent. So at the age of 18 or 21 years old, they're going to be on their own. While the inherited culture, the Middle Eastern culture that you were born from while in the United States, said there's no such thing as growing out of the family. You just keep growing and there's an extended family. Both can be mature. Both can be productive. Both can have a sense of independence. Both can continue being responsible, respectful people. Now, bringing in those two concepts, there's something very, very terrible happening in the world today. We're seeing an increase in crime, or we're seeing more exposure about the crime, whether it's increasing or not, some might argue. What about at the university level? What is the difference that you're seeing as a professor with students who have different upbringings? I think one of the things that uh, that really speaks to me uh, as an instructor, I see students coming to uh, to the university with a lot more confidence in what they believe, uh, sharing a uh, a value that. Uh, of certain uh, types uh, and certain uh, teachings that, that they've been given at home and with a, a very uh, committed attitude toward trying to worship God and to please God in, in uh, their, uh, their life. So are you saying then that the new way of approaching religion in people's homes, especially in the United States, is God-centered? Or are you saying that it still is family-centered with God as a guide? I, th- I think that it's uh, maybe uh, a little bit of both. Uh, I, I hate to draw a line that's one or the other. But uh, I think that for the families that have God as, as the center, uh, there is a lot more uh, confidence in who they are and the direction that they're taking there is uh, a lot more uh, realization of being a productive member and giving back to society. Uh, th- those are some things that I see in our students that, 
that our students today seem like that they, they want to instead of take from society want to be givers back to society and i think it's because of their family upbringing as well as their their religious upbringing many of your students are not going to always deal with people that have the same or similar background they're going to maybe have to deal with people who are less virtuous less complementary to harmony how do you prepare your students to go into the world where not everyone is going to be as courteous, polite, caring, sharing, or loving of the human race in general? Well, that's, that's a, one of the problems I think that we uh, sometimes face is in the context of the university and trying to uh, nurture them and uh, also give them the uh, religious support that they need is to bring them to the realization that once they leave those confines, uh, not everyone operates by that same principle. And it's up to them to then be the person of value, to hold their values, to do what they have been taught to to do in their upbringing, uh, to not give up or to uh, give, uh, give away their values. You're certainly coming in the right direction by globalizing your university. The world is becoming more global, and nobody better than you in the computer business, in e-technology, communicating around the world now, not just visually and uh, not verbally only, but just visually as well. You're going to be anywhere in the world that you want to be at the click of a finger. We're already there. Now it's going to become virtual reality. You're putting your children, your children of the university, your students, ahead of the game by introducing them to other cultures to realize that other cultures have good and bad as well. So earlier in the show, you said we need to show our students that there is a world other than what you see in the media of good, decent people who may not share the same religion, but will share the same acceptance of religious ideology under the same one living God. Yes, I, I think that uh, one of the things that we, we sometimes lack is uh, an understanding of, of the other individuals. We, we seem to uh, look at more the differences than the commonalities, and uh, we sometimes lack the acceptance or the tolerance uh, of the differences of, of individuals. And to, in order to, I think, be uh, better prepared to meet the uh, international or uh, the shrinking world that we live in, uh, that we have to have an understanding uh, and value the differences uh, as uh, part of being able to, to function in, in the world today. In this program we look at a difference between the word tolerance and acceptance. Tolerance, by psychological definition, is actually a form of arrogance. It's actually saying, I know I'm better than you, but I'm going to pretend that we're equals. Acceptance is the maturity to understand that differences doesn't mean different levels. It actually means that people can be on the same plane, but view things from a different perspective. When people bring their different perspectives together, that actually brings a balance, which is what you're enabling your students to realize. 
is that you don't have to come here as missionaries to convert people. You come here as humans to understand people, yes, which may actually enrich your own life and strengthen your own faith. Exactly. And that's that's part of what we have tried to uh, do over the last couple of years in uh, a couple of the programs that have gone to uh, to other countries and to allow our students to interact with students of different faiths so that they can see that faith and see the value of their faith and strengthen their faith, as you said. Dr. Bill Jaber from Lee University, thank you very much for being in the Psychologist's Chair. Thank you, Dr. Hamden. We're very happy to know that your students are going to be having an international experience. Since in the Psychologist's Chair is part of both worlds, the United States and the Middle East, we're looking forward to meeting your students at both locations and having a chance to interview them in the psychologist chair after they've had both experiences and had a chance to put them all together. I'm Dr. Raymond Hamden. Next week, we talk cross-cultural psychology with Simone Shaheen. Thank you again for joining us this week for In the Psychologist Chair. Please join Dr. Raymond Hamden for another edition next Tuesday at 9 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we speak again, hope you enjoy your week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 